Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at the first 21 uh, verses of this chapter. And before I read them, I just want to catch you up to speed on uh, on what's going on. Um, if, if you remember, like we've been working our way through the book of Acts, uh, Paul was sent out on several missionary journeys uh, from the, the great church in Antioch. And his, his first missionary journey, uh, he, he left and went down through the island of Cyprus and then went into southern Galatia and back again. Details are recorded for us in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Uh, his second missionary journey took him out from, Mani- from Antioch, uh, clear over to Macedonia, and down to Achaia, and then back again. That's told for us in Acts 15 through 18. And his third missionary journey took him into Asia, out to Macedonia and Achaia, and then back into Asia. And that's told in, in chapters um, 18 through, through about uh, 21 kind of just right about where we are. And during these missionary journeys, Paul's pattern was really to, to go into the cities, if there was a city, go into a synagogue, if there was a synagogue, and then he preached the gospel of Jesus. How, how Jesus was born of a line of David, how he was rejected by the Jews. And yet he died on the cross for our sins, buried in a tomb, that is, he really died, and then he was raised from the dead in fulfillment of the Scripture, so that everyone who believes in him might be free of their sins. It's the gospel that he would preach. And Paul, which he went into the synagogue, would, would preach that and, and teach it over and over again until eventually, oftentimes, the, the Jews would not listen to him anymore about Jesus being the Messiah. They, their hearts were hardened against Christ and they rejected him and cast him out. And eventually, then, as Paul was, was rejected, as they refused to believe, he would then turn to the Gentiles got kicked out of the Gentiles. And once there, he would speak to them that, that, that Christ the Messiah that you've heard about to the Jews is not to the Jews only, but he's also to the Gentiles. And that he's for all who would believe in him. And as a result, many Gentiles came to faith. And, and this fact here, that so many Gentiles came to the faith during Paul's missionary journey is the thing that really, really stood out in his mind, really struck him. The Gentiles were coming to Christ in droves. In fact, when he came back after his first missionary journey, listen to the report he gave to the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 14, verse 28. He says, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So he told about all that God had done through them and how particularly he'd opened the door of faith to Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. So what stood out to him, that many, Jew, many Gentiles believed in Jesus. And this reception of the Gentiles continued out through his second missionary journey and his third missionary journey, so much so that I would argue that the majority of the converts on his missionary journeys were Gentiles and not Jews. Right, particularly in, in Acts chapter 18, it, spell, it tells of, of Paul going to Corinth and staying there because there are many people in that city who are God's people. And then it came to Christ, and Paul spent 18 months there. He spent three years in his missionary journey, his third missionary journey in Ephesus. Three years of the, the place in Ephesus where many came to faith under his ministry. And, and I would say that's glorious news. I mean, that is great news for most of us today, right? We're, most all of us, we're, we're Gentiles. Right? Maybe all of us. Maybe all, all of us are Gentiles. The fact that the Gospels come to Gentiles is it's for us. It's the reason we exist. And there's really no reason, there was no reason for Jesus to do so. I mean, Jesus had promised, the Old Testament had promised to Israel that God would send their Messiah. But 
But it did, was to Israel that Jesus came, but it, it spilled over and it's come now to the Gentiles, all every nation. We had no promise. It, God didn't promise to save Gentiles, though He called the nations to worship Him. But since Jesus came, it's great news for us that we receive with gladness and rejoicing that salvation come to us. But not all rejoiced at this fact, particularly the Jews. They hated the idea that Messiah would come for the Gentiles to be so readily received by them, so much so that when Paul returned to Jerusalem, he was a marked man. He was the one most responsible for bringing Gentiles to faith in Christ. And so when Paul came back to Jerusalem, James, a leader of the the church in Jerusalem, gave him some advice to try to establish some peace there in Jerusalem. Paul, he said, why don't you go to the temple and purify yourself and, and pay for four men who have also under a Nazarite vow and, and that way, Paul, you would demonstrate to the Jews that you're not totally forsaking the law of Moses, but you're willing to come under the law of Moses. And so as he did that, he tried to achieve peace, but it, it didn't work. The Jews hated Paul so much, they falsely accused him of bringing a Gentile in temple grounds, and, and, and the accusation came so strong that a mob was formed. If you look at chapter 21 and verse 30, it says this, the mob seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. They're beating him and were seeking to kill Paul because they hated the fact that, that Paul was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, not bringing them under full submission to the law of Moses. Now, before Paul was killed, the Roman tribune came to his rescue and, and uh, he arrested Paul and began to bring him into safety right away from the crowds. But, but before Paul was taken away, he persuaded this tribune to be able to address the people. And that's where text begins. Look at verse 22. So picture this mob of people, all in chaos, and all just, just kind of going out. And in verse 40, and he, he given him permission, Paul standing on the steps, most with his hands, and with a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. And he said, chapter 22, verse 1, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Now, this was remarkable in and of itself for Paul to turn around to the crowd that was, that was just moments before trying to kill him, that they would now listen to him. If you know anything about mob mentality, you know that it's, it, it's pretty nasty, right? In, in um, South Korea, mob mentality just sort of just killed many people recently, just because it's out of control. And for Paul to stand up and wave his hand and get attention and begin speaking in Hebrew, just tr- commanding their attention. It's just amazing. I mean, we've seen other instances of behavior of mobs in, in Ephesus, right? particularly. Alexander wanted to make his defense before the crowd, but the crowd continued. Once Alexander stood up, they said, oh, he's a Jew, we don't want him. And they said, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they just drowned him out and he couldn't talk for two hours. Paul could have been easily the same with Paul, like the, away with him, away with him, away with him. And Paul goes, he tries to quiet down, and they said, away with him, away with him. Remember when Pilate was before the mob, he says, what do you want to do with Jesus? They said, crucify him. Why would he say, crucify him? He tried to reason more than crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The only way he's going to pacify the crowds is to crucify Jesus. And so likewise, seeming with Paul, the only way he could pacify the crowds is to get him away. But, but he did. And maybe it was a miraculous thing, God's intervention, that they needed to hear Paul's defense. And we need to hear Paul's defense. In fact, this is the, the title of my message this morning is, is Hear Paul's Defense. I get the title from verse 1, where Paul calls it his defense. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make to you. He's defending himself of what he is doing. He's telling them, here's, here's my defense before you. 
And then Paul said this. Verse 3. He said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take there also those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And he said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that's appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who had killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And with these words, Paul's defense was cut short. I'm sure Paul was ready to go on. But we read this in verse 22, up to this point, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now next week we'll consider why it is that they were so hostile so quickly. But this week I want to focus our attention upon Paul's defense in verses 1 through 21. Now if, if you remember, right, you've heard this story before. Particularly if you've been here with us in the book of Acts. It's the story of Paul's conversion experience on the road to Damascus. And in Acts chapter 9 it tells of the events of this story. But by the time here we get to chapter 22, it's Paul telling the story for himself rather than Luke telling the story of what's taking place and what's happening. And the overall details, they're much the same. And this isn't the last time we're going to hear the story. We're going to hear it again in chapter 26 when Paul is standing before King Agrippa and giving his defense before him. He just gives his testimony as a defense. And furthermore, Paul gives his form of testimony in extended length, in in Philippians, and in Galatians, and in 1 Timothy. Kind of the same thrust of things. This is a story that's often repeated in the Bible. And I I would just say this. It's a a good principle of Bible study, right? When, When something is mentioned more than once in the Bible, it's important. If it's mentioned three times, 
it's even more important. If it's mentioned four times, it's even more important than that. Can you think of a story that's been repeated four times? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four times tell us the story of Jesus. It's the most most important story of all, how Jesus lived, how he healed, what he taught, how he gathered disciples, how he deal with the religious elite, how he's rejected by them, how he died and was buried, and how he resurrected again to life. That's the most important story of the Bible. It's repeated four times in long form for all of us to catch. And Paul's defense here is important because it tells of his conversion. And Paul, of anyone in the Scriptures, of his conversion is probably the most important. He wrote most of, well, not most, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. But here's the core of his, his conversion story. He says, um, and that's why he calls his defense. I didn't go out and preach the gospel to the Gentiles because it was my idea. In, in fact, I was doing exactly the opposite. I was, per, I, was, I was persecuting those who were preaching the gospel. But God had another plan for, for my life. He broke into my life and he changed me. And then God told him, to go to the Gentiles, the saving message of Christ. And so Paul's basically saying this. Like, it's not my idea. I was doing the opposite. God came into my life, changed me, said I should go and preach to the Gentiles. I'm just following what God says. That's my defense. That's why I'm bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, let's consider Paul's testimony in three points. First of all, let's look at this. Before Christ. <clears throat> in verses 3 through 5, Paul describes his former manner of life. He says this. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Educated the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I mean, there's so much packed into these words, but it all points to Paul before Christ came into his life. Paul was Jewish, of course, like, like the entire crowd. I mean, after all, he's speaking in Hebrew to the crowd. He's speaking not the language of the Greeks. And so I'm sure that Roman Tribune, as he set him up there, it was just gibberish to him because he's speaking in Hebrew to everybody, to all the Jews there. He was born in Tarsus in Cilicia which is on 350 miles north of Jerusalem, yet he was raised right there in Jerusalem, right where he was. He was in the Temple Mount, raised in Jerusalem, and he was educated in Jerusalem. This is where he went to elementary school and middle school and high school. Under Gamaliel is what Paul says. Now, for you and me, that doesn't mean much. Gamaliel, okay, yeah, okay, under, uh, educated under him. But Gamaliel, let me just tell you, was the most prestigious of all the rabbis in Jerusalem. We saw already in Acts 15, Luke describes him, in Acts 5 rather, Luke describes him as a teacher of the law, held in honor by all people. So Gamaliel was just this one who had a tremendous amount of influence upon all the Pharisees. In fact, when Gamaliel gave counsel of Sanhedrin not to kill the apostles who were preaching in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, he said this, he says, I tell you, this is Gamaliel, the Sanhedrin's ready to kill these apostles for what they're preaching. He says, I tell you, keep away from these men. And let them alone. For if this is the plan or undertaking is of men, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so respectful were they of this man that they took his counsel. Rather than going with the majority to kill these apostles, right? they said, okay, we'll just, we'll just flog them and warn them again. He was so much respected after his death, the rabbis used to say, from the time that Gamaliel the elder died, Respect for the Torah ceased. So revered was this man. And Paul was educated by, the, by this man. 
And put it in modern context, I might say this. We might say that Paul was educated at Harvard, right? The most prestigious university of our day. Paul's educated in the law of Moses. He knew the Bible well. And his Bible wasn't merely head knowledge. It affected his heart as well. He was zealous for God, is what verse 3 says. In verse 4, then he talks about how zealous he was. He said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. See, when Paul talks about the way, he's talking about the followers of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And, and, and the enemies of, of Christianity basically said, well, they're following the way, what do they call it, the, the, following Jesus on his way that he says is the only, the only thing. And, and that terminology is really picked up in the, in the book of Acts. Describes those following the way, those who are following Jesus. And, and, and Paul says he was so zealous for God, he persecuted those who were followed that way. Right? They were against the traditions of Moses, and, and Paul pursued them even to death. He'd find them. He'd knock on their doors. If they were following the way, if they were following Jesus, he would take them out, bind them, put them in prison, and even some to death as he did with Stephen. So if you're looking for a modern day parallel to this, right? Educated in Harvard, persecuted to the death. I think um, you really have to go to the Middle East where, where Muslims are so zealous for the Quran and following Muhammad that they persecute Christians to the death. So that's who this is. But the problem is, right, when we think of them, it's like nameless, faith, faceless, sort of Muslim people. But Paul was known. He was known as a persecutor of the church. This is what he says in verse 5. He says, right, I was binding men and women, bringing them to prison. And he says, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also, who were there, and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. But, but Paul did this in many synagogues, in many ways. But here's just talking about how he did that to Jerusalem. But all the high priests and the whole Sanhedrin, they know who I am because I received permission from them. See, Paul was not this unknown man to the Jews, had the best education possible for his day, had probably the greatest zeal among all the Pharisees, among all of them. Everyone knew him, from the high priest down to the entire council of the elders, they knew him. They were the ones giving Paul the authority to go up to Damascus and bring those back and punish them for following Jesus and following the way. And again, right? I, I wish I had someone in mind where I could say, you know what, it's like this one. You know, it, it could be someone like Osama bin Laden, maybe. If, if he'd been educated in Harvard, right? Who hates America, but who hates Christ even to the death. Like, this is who the Apostle Paul was. But well known among us. But I, I struggle because there's no one really in our society who's known as the smartest in our society, who's known for being anti-Christian and known for killing Christians. But that's the Apostle Paul was before he came to Jesus. This was before Christ. This is who Paul was. He was the most unlikely convert the world has ever known. And I think that's why his story is told so often in the Bible. The most unlikely convert. And this is precisely the hope that we can have in the conversion of others. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 1, 15-16. He says, The saying is trustworthy, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, Of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. In other words, Paul says this, 
I'm the worst of sinners. But, but the fact that I came to Christ, a, a Christian, murdering, proud, egotistical Pharisee, the fact that I came to Christ to preach the very thing that I, I once denied, that just shows that God can save anyone. No one is beyond the grip of God. If Paul received mercy, listen, make there's hope. So church family, don't despair of your loved ones without Christ. Don't despair. Paul found mercy at the cross of Christ and the sin of your loved ones. I don't think it's so great that the mercy of God might not extend to them as well. That's Paul before Christ. In verse 6, we see a turn in his defense. He begins to describe how it is that he came to Christ. And so I'm simply calling this coming to Christ. Verse 26, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus. That really picks up from verse 5 about how all the high priests and the elders know because they gave me letters as I went up to Damascus. And he was going to that synagogue. Um, and we read in Acts 9, the idea was that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem to be punished. And it was at this point that he found God. It's at this point, God found him. God sought him out because Paul wasn't really seeking after God. And truth be known, this is the way all of us come to Christ. Not because we're seeking God, but because God is seeking us. Verse 6. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, that is his, his Hebrew name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And what an amazing experience Paul had on that road. That here he was, seeking to persecute Christians, going north to Damascus, finding them, identifying them, arresting them, binding them hand and foot, bringing them back to Jerusalem for a heresy trial. It takes a lot of effort. I mean, have you thought about how much effort that would have been? To actually go up there with chains and take people back prisoners? Paul in his zeal was ready to do this because he hated the way. He thought Christians right, were, were deceived and were leading others in their deception. Leading them astray. And, but yet on the road, he was blinded by a great light and had a conversation with Jesus. This light, it says here, was, was shown all around in me. Right? Maybe you, you know the idea. Right? If you happen to look at the sun or someone takes a photograph or something, there's some kind of big flash. You get like, blinded for a moment and then you're okay. But this, this wasn't necessarily this sun, this wasn't the sun. It was a, a light that enveloped all of Paul and all of his traveling companions. And then he had this conversation with Jesus. And he was talking back and forth with Jesus. And I think one of the big things is Jesus said that in going to Damascus to persecute Christians, you are persecuting me. Like there is the identification, the union of Christ with his body. And, and, and those who were, were with him, right? Paul, there were those who were with him. 
like-minded with the Apostle Paul to help round up Christians in Damascus. They too saw the light, but somehow they weren't blinded by the light. And they too heard, but could not quite understand what was what Jesus was saying to Paul. They could understand what Paul was saying to Jesus, but not back again. And then at the end, right, Paul is blind, and obviously they saw that something had happened to Paul. And I'm sure that Paul related to everything he heard and told them about their discussion, because they had him, Paul had them lead him by the hand into Damascus. And once in Damascus, he waited. He waited, as verse 10 says, for someone to come and tell him all that's appointed for him to do. From Acts 9, we find that he was without sight in Damascus for three days. And so this is more than just a, a, a flash sun look at that restores pretty quickly. This was a pretty devastating blindness for several days. During these days, he neither ate nor drank. Rather, Acts chapter 9, verse 11, he prayed. I mean, what would you be doing if you were waiting in blindness? Waiting for the Lord to bring someone to tell you all that's appointed for you. Well, Paul was certainly confused. But God was working on his heart. And after three days, a man knocked his door to tell him all that was appointed for him to do. Verse 12 is where we we pick this up. It says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. Now, we don't know much about Ananias other than that he was a, a devout man according to the law. Uh, Acts 9 gives a little bit more detail about when, when God appeared to Ananias and said, go to Paul. And he's like, I'm not going to him. He kills Christians. You're going to kill me. And, and God says, no, it's okay. It's okay. He's transformed. I've changed him. But then when Ananias gave sight to Paul's mind upon command, brother Saul, receive your sight. Right? There was an identification of a, of a miracle. Blind for three days, Ananias comes in, works a miracle. Certainly Paul's like, okay, someone's going to tell me and all this pointed for me to do, this must be the guy if he's healing me like that. I'm sure at this point Paul was all ears. Listen to what Ananias is going to tell him about what's at stake, what he's going to do. And verse 14, and Ananias said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Ananias told Paul what he had experienced by divine appointment with God. He saw Jesus in the light. He heard the very voice of Jesus. And Ananias told Paul that he would be a witness to everyone of what he's seen and heard. Does that sound familiar at all, that verse there? That he would be a witness to everyone of what he has seen and heard? I hope so, because that's the theme of the book of Acts, is to be my witnesses. Paul told the apostles, the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that they would be my witnesses. And here Paul is converted and and God says to Paul that you are going to be a witness to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And what was true of the apostles, that we should be my witnesses, Jesus said. What's true of the apostle Paul is also true of us. Jesus is calling every single one of us to be a witness for him. To tell everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now what we have seen and heard, of course, is different than what Paul has seen and heard. I don't know anybody who has a similar testimony to Paul. 
who's been on a road seeking to arrest Christians, blinded by a light, having an audible conversation with Jesus. But everyone who has come to Christ has an experience to tell. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you have an experience of something that you have seen or something that you have heard or something that has changed you and transformed you. And God is calling you through the book of Acts, through these sermons that we have done, to tell others of what it is that you've experienced in Jesus. First things first. And I said to Paul, verse 16, And why now do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And presumably Paul did this in obedience to Ananias and in obedience to Jesus. Paul rose up, was baptized in water, and his sins were washed away. Not by his baptism, but by calling on his name. You might well translate this. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. And this is really the moment where where Paul came to Christ. When Paul called upon the name of Jesus, when he called upon his name, that's when he was saved. It's the promise that Paul would later write to those in Rome. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's how Paul was saved. That's how Paul washed away his sins. By calling on the name of Jesus. It's the way that any of us are saved, by calling on the name of Jesus. Real simple question, right? Have you called on the name of Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you haven't. Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus as Lord? Have you believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead? It's what you need to do to be saved, to be transformed, to be able to have a story to tell, to be able to be a witness. Let's press on to our last point, then we're going to have a big application for us at the end. We've seen Paul before Christ, we've seen him coming to Christ, and now we see the change in verses 17 through 21. 17 says this, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Paul had become a Christian preacher. He was giving testimony to others about Jesus. And here's a warning, right, to get out of Jerusalem. But, but you see right there at the end of verse 18 that he was a preacher. We know from Acts 9 that his preaching ministry didn't start in Jerusalem. It actually started in Damascus. On his road to Damascus, when he was, saw that great light, was taken to Damascus for three days, and then, the, and then Ananias came, and pretty quickly after that, he was preaching in the synagogues and proclaiming Jesus, saying that he is the Son of God, Proving to all the Jews in Damascus that Jesus was indeed the Christ. Acts chapter 9 verse 22. And after leaving Damascus, and he came to Jerusalem. Acts 9 verse 28 says he was preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. And after preaching a while in Jerusalem, he fell into this trance while praying in the temple. Again, this was a second appearance that, that Paul had the privilege of, of seeing Jesus. It was another unique part of of Paul's testimony, not only did Paul speak with Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he also spoke with him in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus warned him and told him to leave. He says, verse 18, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And this, this shows how this isn't the first time that Paul gave his testimony to those in Jerusalem. He, he'd done so before. 
And, and, but, but, but Paul thought that, that giving his testimony of the miraculous change in his life about what he was like before he came to Christ and how it is that he came to Christ, that road to Damascus experience, and, and then the change that took place. Because Paul, look at 19 through 20, is really arguing with Jesus. Going back, he says, I said, Lord... They themselves know that one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who were being killed. In other words, Paul is arguing the change in his life. He said he used to imprison followers of Jesus. Used to, but no more. He used to beat those who followed Jesus. He used to. But no more. He used to approve of those who killed the followers of Jesus. He used to, but no more. And he brings up here the testimony of Stephen. You can read about that in Acts chapter 7. When Stephen spoke out boldly the gospel and confronted the, the, the people stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit, refusing to believe in Jesus, and he was thrown down. He was stoned to death, and Paul was right there taking the garments and was glad, approving that, yes, this Stephen is worthy of death because he's preaching Jesus. But Paul is a changed man. And in fact, this always happens to those who follow Jesus. When God saves a man, he changes a man. When God saves a woman, he changes her. That's what Paul alludes to in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old is gone. The old self, the way you used to live, is gone. Right? No more going after Christians. No more beating them. No more persecuting them. No more bringing them to death because the new has come. In fact, the new is so radical that not only you not persecute those, but you actually join those on the other side. And if someone is truly in Christ, he's different. He's new. He's changed. He's transformed. That's what regeneration is. And that life change will be evident. And that's what the book of 1 John is all about. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And how does he say you know that you have eternal life? If God has changed you, if you've been transformed, if he has worked in you, the fruit of the Spirit working in you, right? So you're you're believing that Christ Jesus indeed came into the flesh. And you're loving the brothers. And you're keeping the commandments of God. It's an expression of of how it is that you have come to faith. Your, your life change is different. That's called the doctrine of regeneration. right? That God changes us and transforms us. So now we're different. Now, now we believe and now we repent of our sin. Now we hate our sin because God has transformed us. He's transformed us and given us new desires that we desire to come to church. We desire to be with God's people. We desire to read this book. I saw a little clip of a video on my minute of Instagram every night last night and talked about how, how many of you have a favorite book that you've read more than 10 times, you know, and people raise their hands and stuff. And then he says, how many of you have read that book so often that you have memorized even like a whole page of that book and nobody's hands went up? And in my mind, I was like, yes, I've memorized whole pages of the Bible before. I've memorized Psalms before. I've memorized books of the Bible before. And he said, I'm glad none of you raise your hands because if so, you're crazy. Like, that's the point. God changes us and transforms us and gives us desires that we didn't have before. And Paul wanted to tell others of the change that had taken place in his life. 
And so he argued with Jesus that he might tell others this change in life, but Jesus had greater plans for Paul. And rather than seeing the Jews in Jerusalem come to Christ, he said to me, verse 21, he said, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So here it is, early in his conversion already, Paul is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, as we've seen in the, the three missionary journeys, whether that's in in southern Galatia or Asia or Macedonia or Achaia, Paul's bringing the gospel to the Jews first and then to the Greek and then to the Gentiles. And many, many believed. And God even here said, I'm going to send you the Gentiles. And at this point, his defense was finished. Not because Paul didn't have any more to say, but because the crowd stopped him from speaking any longer. Look at verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voice and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. And the big question is there, why did they become so irate at that point? And I'll answer that question next week. But at this point, right, we've got to see that Paul's defense was, was finished. And I want to finish my message this morning with a, a big application for you all. Just think about Paul. Think about his arrest. Think about his standing up there and says, ooh, ooh, can, I, can I make a defense? Can I, can I give my testimony? In the business, people often talk about the elevator pitch. Right? When, you, when you get in an elevator at, at, at ground level and you see someone and you've got like two floors to sell yourself, to basically take your resume and to bring it down to a real, real short, short way, maybe 20 seconds. You can't, who you are, what your aspirations are, and how this man, should, man or woman whatever, should be interested in you. It's a slimmed down version, basically, of your resume and cover letter. tells who you are, what you are, what, what you want to achieve. And, and just even online, people say, well, you need to, in 20 seconds, right, introduce yourself, identify yourself, what you do, your job title, your accomplishments, and then go to the ask, right? What, whatever it is that you want, and then leave them wanting more. And I would just encourage you to really think through your own elevator pitch when it comes to serving Jesus, when it comes to giving a, a witness for Jesus, now, sometimes that's, that's pretty easy, okay? Um, so, like, for instance, this Sunday we're going to have uh, elections here. And uh, I will interact with some of the uh, election people. By the way, they're going to be delivering some, uh, some things during our potluck. If, if they're just bring them in, you, you can see that. You'll see them. But we have elections. We, we host that. And as I deal with them, right, a question they almost always ask is, um, what's your Wi-Fi password? Okay, I'm going to reveal it to you all, reveal it to the world, whatever, Right? And I just say this, our elevator password is trusting Jesus, all small letters, trusting Jesus, because that's what we do at Rock Valley Bible Church. We trust Jesus for the forgiveness of all of our sins. That's a pretty, like, like an elevator pitch, right? That's, that's something that helps, and so that's, a, that's like a trigger to help. My license plates are the same. People see my license plates, and they say, that ooh, what does that mean? That ooh is a Greek word. It means of God. I am of God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. The other one, hesed. What does hesed mean? Hesed. That's a Hebrew word for the loving kindness of God. And it just reminds me, whenever I drive the car, to be reminded of God's loving kindness, which is new every morning, has been faithful to me in Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, those are little things. In fact, even Vaughn, you had a chance recently to talk about hesed. And those, those are things that you just prompt, but there might be some, some other things. Right when when someone asks, have, have any of you has any of you ever been asked? Right, the, the question that is asked in in First Peter three fifteen about like why why you go to church or or what are you doing? First Peter three fifteen. 
It says this. It says, um, In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Are you ready to give an answer to someone who asks, what's the hope within you? 20 seconds. What would you say? I might say something like this. You know, I, I grew up in the church that really didn't teach the Bible. But when the Bible is taught, Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, that just startled me and shocked me. I did not know that you could profess to be a Christian and not be a Christian. And God stirred in my heart to learn more about him. And I discovered the riches of the gospel of Christ, how he, he died for me and how he's transformed my life. Give me insatiable desire for his word. 20 seconds right there. Maybe it's 30 seconds, I'm not sure. But a quick response to be able to say, Paul in his, in his testimony here was about two, two and a half minutes long. Three minutes long if you read really slowly. Do you have a three-minute talk ready? To be able to give to others about your testimony of, of following Jesus? I mean, I, I've given you one sentence, little quips that I use often. I, I've, I've told that testimony, that, that 20-second testimony, 30-second testimony, often in my life. If you're open for that, you will have opportunities. Just so you're talking with, with people. But sometimes I've been able to give a, a two-minute talk, two-and-a-half-minute talk. Might go something like this. Right? I, I grew up in church. Right? My, my, my parents went to church. I went to church. In fact, hardly was a time which I ever remember not going to church. And I love church. But the church I went to was a pretty weak church. Yeah, they taught about Jesus and some doctrines. And yeah, I, I professed a faith in Jesus. But I didn't really understand Christianity. I mean, I, I knew the basics, but I didn't go deep. And, and I thought being a Christian was such a good thing that I was a prideful. Like, I, look, I'm me. I'm a good moral person. But I never saw my sin until I went to a church that began teaching the Bible. And they just taught it verse by verse. He just opened the passage and, and, and preached this passage. And then the next week, he'd preach the next passage. And the next verse, he'd preach the next passage. My eyes began to be open to the truth of the Bible. And then I went and heard this talk about a, a, a guy who was talking about uh, Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaching the most famous sermon ever. He comes to this point and he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, let me into your kingdom. And they're going to argue. Look at all the things I've done. I cast out miracles. I prophesied in your name. I've done all these great things in your name, in the name of Jesus. And Jesus will turn them away. And I had never heard that before. Here I was in church. I was 21 years old. And I liked the Bible. And I read the Bible. But, but being at a, a church at a place where people knew the Bible far better than I did. And, and a church finally that warned me. That says not everyone who says they're a Christian are a Christian. That's, that's when really my eyes open to say, wow, I, just, I, I need to make sure that if I was deceived on that, I might have been deceived on some other things growing up. And so God set me to really study his word and to, to know his word. And with that, I come to understand the treasures of the gospel, understand the riches of his grace and kindness toward me in Christ Jesus. I've come to understand the joy of what it is to, to follow him. And he's transformed me. He changed my life, gave me a desire for his word. That's why I went to seminary. I didn't go to seminary to be a pastor. I went to seminary because God changed me. That's my testimony. Two minutes, two and a half minutes. Can you give a similar testimony? It's really my big application for all of you. Maybe spend some time practicing. Maybe a small group so you can do that next week, right? Practice. Okay, 20-second testimony. Go ahead, give it, right? And, and I, I would say that what you want to do is follow this outline. Before I came to Christ, I was this. Here's how I came to Christ. 
And here's the change in me afterwards, right? And even mine, right? I followed that, right? Before, I just a church-going guy, very moral, but didn't understand a lot of stuff. Then I came to Christ when God's Word came into my life. Matthew 7 was a huge passage. It changed me, transformed me, right? That's how I came to Christ. And then it just transformed me after that. So I just encourage you, right? Really think through this, this outline. And that's why intentionally I, I outline that. All good testimonies are like this, what it was like. How I came to Christ and how God has changed me since then. It teaches sin and our need for a Savior, how you found Jesus, believed in Him, trusted in Him, how Jesus found you, right? He opened your eyes, caused you to be born again, 1 Peter 1, 3. And, and then what change He has worked in your life. Not meritorious, but because of the response of everything that God has done for me. Can you do that? So you're ready? To start? If you're going to be my witness, like Paul says here, you're going to be my witnesses, you need to be able to be a witness. And if you need help with that, say, Pastor Steve, I, you know what, I don't know how to do that. I'd be glad to spend some time with you. I'd be glad to say, okay, let's write this out, right? What's your 20-second elevator pitch? What's your two-and-a-half-minute testimony that you're going to be able to give, just like Paul gave? And the good news is this. Is that though people may not believe in you, may not believe what you say, I don't think they're going to say, uh, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should no longer be allowed to live. I don't think they're going to say that to you. So it can't be that bad. And I have faced many blank stares and people just don't understand how God has changed my life, and that's okay. And uh, in fact, even we see the Jews here are hardened in their hearts. There's many people who don't believe. That's okay. But are you ready to be my witnesses, as Jesus says? Are you ready to be a witness for him? That's, I think, the challenge of our text this morning. So let's pray. Father, I would pray you would strengthen us all. God, just even as Paul stood up here, and as all of us, we need to be ready in a moment's notice to pray, to preach, or to die. I pray that all of us would be ready to to preach in a moment, speaking forth of, of how you have worked in our lives. We don't need to share anything that's outside of our experience or Anything that's too far for us, just what we have seen and known as the, as the blind man who basically said, I once was blind, but now I see. We say, once I didn't believe, but now I believe. Through some agency of some preacher or some verse or reading. God, I pray that you would help us to do that. That we would be able, even this week, to share such a testimony with people. I know over my years I've had many, many, many countless opportunities to share my little elevator pitch, my little testimony, not that it's rehearsed and all memorized, God, but it is an overflow of, of what you've done for my soul. Thank you for what you've done for the Apostle Paul. It's an example for us all that none of us need to leave this place without hope. And uh, grant us that hope and grant us the ability even to discern, understand that we might be able to communicate how it is you've changed us and transformed us by the power of Christ. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.